specifically reordering our loves and our desires. We said we are fundamentally desiring, worshiping, loving creatures. That's how God created us. We all love and worship certain things. Uh, What the fall did is not uh, prevent us or keep us from being lovers or worshipers. Uh, What it did is it disordered our desires. It, 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 It caused us or has resulted in us setting our affections on things other than God or setting our affections uh, on things in greater ways than God in greater quantity than God. And so, so much of what we're talking about then in this uh, study of spiritual practices are about how God, by his spirit, reorders our desires, remakes our hearts, enables us to become more and more like Jesus and brings about actual change in our lives. And a good quote there from Willard that we've talked about every week. Grace is opposed to earning and not to effort. And so, Uh, We're intentionally using this language of practices because we want to recognize that we play this significant role in it. We are, in a sense, getting in the way of God's spirit. We are we are putting ourselves in the way of his transformative work in us. But that requires effort. And so that's a a good quote from Willard to remind us that Christian life is not just sitting back and doing nothing. We are justified completely of God's grace apart from anything we do. But in sanctification, we play a real role an actual role in getting ourselves in the way of uh, God's work. Then another quote from Willard, we must seek, seek out ways to live and act in union with the flow of God's kingdom life that should come through our relationship with Jesus. Uh, this week and last week, we've been talking about prayer in particular. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the difficulties of prayer. And then we uh, I called it a way forward. And it was largely... Uh, Uh, Credit due here to Paul Miller's A Praying Life. Fantastic book. I didn't check it was on the book table. Sorry about that. It should be. It has been in the past and it will be again if it's not now. And uh, his basic assertion is that uh, the reason that we struggle so much in prayer is because we have some sort of dysfunctional view or dysfunctional relationship with God as father. We lose sight of the grace of the gospel, the grace that is ours uh, in, in adoption. And so for that reason, uh, we struggle in prayer and a lot of other uh, issues arise from that. So we talked some about learning to pray like a child last week. We talked about uh, learning to set our prayer life in the context of God's fatherly care. Uh, another quote from now and that, that can get at some of this. The crisis of our prayer life is that our mind may be filled with ideas of God while our heart remains far from him. Real prayer comes from the heart. So this week, what we're going to do is talk some about uh, why we should pray. Uh, We'll talk some about the potential pitfalls of prayer, some specific things that that the scriptures point out as uh, as possible hindrances to our prayer life. And then we'll uh, close with some practices. So. As usual, I'll have to move through this quick six page handout today. But lots of this is because I've, I've loaded you with uh, with these verses so that uh, you won't need to be turned in your Bibles. OK, uh, first, an, an intro quote, just great, rich content from uh, the beginning of Calvin's section uh, on prayer in the Institute is is therefore by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us with the heavenly father. So true is it that we dig up by prayer the treasures that were pointed out by the Lord's gospel and which our faith has gazed upon. Words fail to explain how necessary prayer is and in how many ways the exercise of prayer is profitable. 
So good, uh, good quote there for us to keep in mind as we jump into this. Okay, so why pray? These are just some reasons. I'm sure there are more. Uh, some reasons that the uh, that the Bible gives that we should pray, and I want these to be practical for us, and that they would be motives, that they would uh, that they would help us in, in recognizing the the glory, the joy, the delight, uh, the obligation of prayer. Uh, and probably the biggest reason is that prayer is Christ-like. In other words, Jesus prayed, um, and, and we we talk some about this with, when we discuss silence and solitude, that Jesus as the son of God still found it necessary to withdraw into solitude in order to spend time with his heavenly father. And this is a lot of what uh, those verses that I have, but I first have uh, John 17, the high priestly prayer. We obviously won't look at that, but that is an extended prayer uh, in the upper room discourse where Jesus, we get huge implications for what it, uh, and learn much about the Trinity in particular. But the whole of that prayer is this uh, it's a picture of Jesus as son praying to God as father. And it's uh, very instructive in that way, showing the intimacy that he has with God as father and uh, and is a great example of what Jesus's own prayer life looks like. And then uh, a few selections here on him withdrawing. Mark one rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And then Luke 5, but he would withdraw to desolate places to prayer. The significant thing about that verse was it was coming uh, as people were pressing in, desiring to be healed. They wanted to hear more of what he had to say. They wanted to receive his ministry, which, as we talked about in Silence and Solitude, this is obviously a very good thing, the very reason that he came. And yet, even in the midst of all these good things that were pressing in upon him, he still saw fit to withdraw and to pray in order to be with his father. In Luke 6, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. Uh, you see that pattern before big events in his life, prior to uh, calling the twelve, and uh, it, oftentimes before and after significant miracles that he's performed. Uh, and then Matthew 14 immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And then this final uh, passage I put there for you is his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I just want you to notice the uh, the brutal honesty and struggle that uh, that Jesus exhibits in his prayer life here. Remember, this is the son of God praying immediately before his crucifixion. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So that's just a cross section there of what Jesus's own prayer life looked like. And this is the uh, this is probably the chief reason why we uh, why we should pray. Some other reasons here. Uh, prayer is expected. Uh, this Matthew six passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the portion that leads right up to the Lord's Prayer. 
And it's interesting that, uh, and I've tried to highlight this for you uh, with the, the text there, that it's just assumed throughout that we would be praying. It says, and when you pray, and then verse 6, but when you pray, and 7, and when you pray. There's a little bit of a pattern there. Jesus uh, expects us to be, to be praying. And then in the parable of the persistent widow, which is what is there at the beginning of Luke 18, it gives the reason there. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And it's interesting that that prayer is uh, or that that particular parable is dealing with this woman who is crying out for justice. She's been wrong. She keeps pursuing this judge. And the, the point of the parable for us is that that we also would be praying to God to make things right in the context of the kingdom work that Jesus is exhibiting in Luke 18. A huge part of that is that Jesus will return and make all things right. And she's praying uh, night and day unceasingly that, that she would be given justice as one who had been wronged. It's appropriate for us to pray in those ways as well. This is sort of the, uh, the prayer of revelation that we're asking Jesus to come quickly. And so it's expected that we would pray in an ongoing way. And then uh, Paul's words in Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So that's a pretty obvious reason why, uh, why we should pray. Then thirdly, prayer is heard by God. This is huge, I think, because uh, for me, this is probably the uh, the greatest point of struggle to believe this in an ongoing way. First John five. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And Hebrews four, that would speak of the the boldness that we have because we come clothed uh, in Jesus himself as we approach God. Let us there then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Ephesians 3, uh, this is in whom, that's Jesus. In Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And then Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear our prayer, to you shall all flesh come. So God hears our prayers. And I think it's important to return to these verses to meditate on that because that's I think that's a, a real point of uh, point of struggle. Uh, fourthly, prayer is ministry. A couple different points I want to make here. One, and Hughes Oliphant Old has a couple of books on prayer, and he was the first that um, that I learned this from. But he does a lot with doing ministry in Jesus' name as being um, a continuation of his prayer of intercession. That what it means to continue the work of, G of Jesus is to pray, is to intercede for people just as Jesus did. And that's what he says here uh, in these couple of books. It's in prayers of intercession that we continue the ministry of intercession that Christ gave to the church to perform in his name. So that, that prayer is ministry in that way. And then from his other book, Praying with the Bible, to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray with Jesus as he intercedes for his disciples in every age and every condition. Jesus has left us to carry on in his name the work of intercession that he began. So th this is a huge part of what Jesus' ministry was. And so it, that's what we're called to continue with as well. 
And then uh, prayers of petition, which is probably more of what we would think of when you hear that uh, prayers ministry from James 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So prayer is ministry. Finally, prayer is helped by the Holy Spirit. Familiar verse from Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So those are some reasons uh, why we should pray that uh, would hopefully be uh, motivation to us as we would think about uh, prayer as a practice. Uh, okay, potential, potential pitfalls of prayer. little alliteration there. Uh, potential pitfalls. Uh, three things. Again, there, there are more that we could say, but these are some pretty prominent issues that the Bible brings out for us. Uh, the first is hypocrisy, and this comes from that same section of the Sermon on the Mount. You look there at Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Uh, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He says the same thing about giving and also about fasting. And we'll talk next week about fasting uh, and its connection to prayer. This is a danger uh, that's listed there, this hypocrisy. So what does this look like? It looks like praying in order to be seen. Uh, it's a picture of the Pharisee standing on these street corners with these eloquent, probably verbose prayers that people uh, recognize and see. And it looks really good and really holy. And Jesus says, don't do that. Uh, so that, that's, I think, what this hypocrisy could look like or, or praying with a blatant lack of repentance as well, where there's no sense of one's need. If you think of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the way that the Pharisee approaches God, pretty much praying his resume in Luke 18, I fast all these times, I do this, I give this much. And then the tax collector gets up, beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, so a blatant lack of repentance is uh, it, it totally would cut against this fundamental dynamic of our relationship with God, that we are dependent and we need grace. And then uh, Jesus gives a solution, though, too, in that same passage in Matthew six. Uh, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the solution that he would give to us, just a couple points. One is to pray privately. Obviously, he's not saying don't pray publicly ever. Uh, but he's saying don't, uh, don't pray in order to be seen in this way. Pray privately. Come to your father in that uh, in secret. He will see you and reward you. And then the other solution, I think this is actually really helpful, uh, especially when we think about praying publicly in small group settings, maybe, or uh, in some setting where, where it's not completely private. Uh, pray to God and not to people. Or maybe to say it this way, pray to God and not for people. Uh 
And, and I, I think, well, I would guess every person struggles with that. And where you think like, I, I want to pray, uh, you want to pray uh, in, in mind, or conscious of the people around you. Uh, but it can just as easily become a show, trying to pray in some particularly eloquent way or use uh, the right words, pull in scripture in some way. And all of a sudden, the focus of your prayer and attention has now turned to the people around you rather than to God. Uh, so pray to God and not uh, not to people. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. It's not to say that prayer isn't instructive in that way, because I think particularly um, like hearing Darwin do a pastoral prayer rich with scripture. Uh, we learn to pray by praying along with people in that way. And that's really wonderful and that's good. Uh and so that, that's, that's how God intends it as well. Uh, but I think it, it gets to the motives of the person who is, who's leading in prayer. So praying to God and not to people is, is part of the solution to this. Uh, a couple other issues, potential pitfalls for us. Uh, the first is not asking. And uh, you look at Matthew 7, you see this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll be, you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And then uh, jump down to the passage from James 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's going to be where we're going on this next point. But the, the first point from the Sermon on the Mount there, Matthew 7, where Jesus talks again about prayer, uh, is that we don't ask and that that's the problem. Uh, that's a potential pitfall. And this could be particularly relevant for us in our tradition uh, to be with those who believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God over all things. We recognize that that whatsoever comes to pass is is what uh, God will bring about whatsoever comes to pass in accordance with his own will. And so we start thinking, yeah, I don't really know that my prayers matter that much. Like God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And so we can we can push out uh, the the legitimate role that God in his sovereignty has in, uh, has intended for our prayers of supplication, prayers of petition in his sovereignty. The way in which he's going to bring about his purposes is often through our own prayers in that way. We do play a substantial and real way, a real role in what comes about in this world. And so Jesus is saying you don't have because you don't ask. And that's a real problem. Um, a couple words on this, though, because I think this could be misunderstood. And this may be where you go as you think about this. That uh, is Jesus saying that if we ask for absolutely anything, then we'll receive it. The answer is no. Uh, but we read that and maybe that's why we're shy uh, or hesitant to ask boldly. Uh, a few words on this, uh, and this is mostly from Paul Miller. He's got a, a couple of great chapters on this uh, on this topic. And one thing is to say that, that prayer is not magic. Uh, it, it's not a way in which we can control and manipulate God to our own selfish ends. Okay, um, it's not a way for us to control Him in that way. And uh, another point that's crucial to keep in mind that we mentioned last week is that he alone knows what's best for you and for us. He alone knows that. And his promise is always to do us good. And, and so there are things that if we ask for and that if he granted them would be terrible for us. 
and terrible for those around us. And so there, there's this uh, there, there's this balance there that we, we can't fall off on either side. And the one side is not asking, but we've got to recognize. And this is seen in Jesus's prayer in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, that would be really great. Uh, but not my will, but your will be done. So it's a confident prayer of expectation that is at the same time rightly tempered with this recognition that God's will is going to be what's best here. And I'm committing myself to that as well. So uh, James 4 is also helpful in this way. And this gets to our next pitfall here. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, that that's a problem. Uh, and so th- this is another way to say that it's, it's God's grace that he doesn't always grant the desires of our hearts. Uh, and going back to Matthew seven, because he knows what we need before we even ask. Does that make sense? Any questions or thoughts on that? That's kind of a sticky thing. Yeah, Lynn. Sometimes you don't recognize God's answer. You know, like yeah. someone to come into my life, you know, to get married, and I was, and he brought Daniel into my life, but I didn't recognize it because I had in my mind a different person, you know, or, you know, I, that's maybe, you know, a funny one, but, you know, that's often the case, we pray for yeah. the motive, of, the, the desire of our heart, our heart is ours for a godly man, and that's what God gave me, you know, but I didn't realize it, yeah. and I think that happens a lot to us, that we pray for situation and we tell God how it has to be solved. God doesn't follow our Right. Mercifully so. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I I don't think there's really there's not any way around that. Uh it gloriously there's not anything around that. But that's still that 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 makes it hard because you read big you read these big promises and and on the surface we think like, well I why would God not do these things for me? Um like, well, he's got a better way for it's them. Like, yeah. It's like a child, though, too. Uh, you know, I have a, a little granddaughter who's not quite two years old. She she has complete confidence and complete trust that her needs are going to be met. Mm-hmm. I mean, believe me. And she, you know, it's not that she always gets her own way or anything like that, but I mean, she literally has complete confidence. Yeah. And that's... That's what I'm on for, is that confidence that, you know, when she goes to sleep at night, she knows she's going to wake up and someone's going to put clothes on her and someone's going to feed her and yeah. somebody's going to take care of her. And to have that confidence in our prayer life to be able to just say, hey, as a little child, yeah, I really know you're going to do it. And there are times where you as her grandmother rightly tell her oh, no. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, because out of a sense of, of love, oh, yeah. knowing the best for her. Yeah. That's a great illustration. Well, I think sometimes yeah. also we have immediate needs we need met that God's going to answer in maybe six months or a year, but we're praying like, oh yeah, Lord, yeah. We're, we're going under, we're going under now. Yeah. So yeah. Anytime you want to step in, we're ready. We're praying for yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Jerry. Uh, I believe God's got a, a will for us all the way down through the, through the future. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, we don't, of course, know what that is. So we're, we're praying maybe off in a tangent from that will. But then as time goes on, years go by, 
we can look back oh, yeah. and see, well, if I thought I wanted to go that way, I know why God brought me this way. Yes, yeah. We did do some of those things that we prayed for, but we can see backwards why he did it. Right, and that's right. then following the path he wants. Yeah, it's great. So but, you, but you can't see that till later. Yeah. That's where the trust comes in. Our imperfect, excuse me, our imperfect praying for the desires of our heart and God pulling us the right way ends up changing the desires. Yeah, absolutely. So we pray more and more. Yes, yeah, that's a great point, Janet. Yeah, Max. Uh, the way we talk about prayer so far, it seems like it's kind of mostly geared toward the world, physical. And in that sense, it becomes kind of hard to convince somebody who doesn't think that he has any need to pray. Maybe you have somebody who's happily married, has children, mm-hmm. has a big house, you know, and is healthy. And for me, if I, if, you know, I come down to what is the most important, you know, because as Jesus says, uh, what profit a, a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Mm-hmm. So to me, it comes, as Jesus, as you just read, Jesus saying to the disciples, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. Mm-hmm. So I would, first of all, first, you know, almost hear my prayer toward being in good standing in front of God. Uh-huh. And in that case, I can have the feeling of uh, like the, the lady in Conroe saying, a little child, <coughs> because I'm in good relationship with God, He will take care of me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, and that, that gets back to some of what we said last week that, um, Constantly being reminded that we approach God the Father uh, in Christ, that we when we pray in his name, we come uh, clothed in his righteousness, all good things that he has done for us so that we can come confidently to the throne of grace in that way. But there's an added point of and we'll talk some about this uh, even in the Lord's Prayer, a regular pattern of confessing our sins before the Lord, acknowledging the ways that we that we do fall short. We talked some last week about Psalm 32 and David feeling this overwhelming burden due to his unconfessed sin that he was harboring. Uh, and so this healthy reflection um, on where where we have fallen short and confessing that openly and honestly to the Lord. It's good. Okay, uh, so then the section that we'll, we'll end with here uh, for the next 15 minutes or so is the, the practices of prayer. And the basic point that I want to make is that prayer is learned. There, there are times in which we would uh, we, we sort of expect this, uh, expect prayer to come easily, quickly and immediately rather than viewing it. And this I, we do this with a lot of disciplines or practices that we've talked about rather than viewing it as something that we need to uh, continue to give ourselves to and that will uh, we will be growing in over time. Prayer is like that. It's a discipline in that way. And so it's learned in various ways. And I've tried to break it a little artificially uh, into these two categories, but just to help us organize it some. First, we can say we learn to pray from Jesus and his word. Um, so a few a few ways that this shows itself. Uh, first, praying regularly. This is instructive. Jesus was instruct or was was trained in the pattern of first century Jewish prayer life, 
which was uh, a pretty set pattern of prayer. And you have these on here. This is a traditional Hebrew way. They pray the Shema in the morning at a set time. Then in the afternoon, there'd be these series of blessings called the, the Tifalah, which is just this Hebrew word for prayer, one of the Hebrew words for prayer. And you can look that up, Second Chronicles 6. And so there'd be another, and these were at set times. And then in the evening, there was something, there was something identical to the morning, but that in, included these private petitions. They would pray before meals regularly. So it was a, a set pattern of prayer that, that, uh, that occurred. Good quote here from Calhoun on a, a pattern of regular prayer. And that's really what I mean when I say pray regularly. Like David, who prayed seven times a day, Psalm, one, that's Psalm 119. And Daniel, who prayed three times a day, Daniel 6. Jesus and the Jews of his day prayed at set hours of the day. It was a devout Jew's habit to go to the temple at the sixth and ninth hour, which is noon and three o'clock. After Jesus' death, his disciples continued to pray at fixed hours of the day. You can see that in Acts. This custom of praying at set daily intervals quickly became a part of the early church's rhythm of prayer. And uh, what I think is helpful about this is uh, for, for us, uh, for we who are in this evangelical tradition, that for the most part uh, prioritizes spontaneity or even uh, in its worst forms could equate uh, what is truly spiritual with that which is spontaneous uh, and, and might have and it's probably less so given what we do at our church in particular here but um, viewing forms of prayer or praying written prayers as sort of an inherent kind of subpar way of praying and that like the true pinnacle of spirituality is rich spontaneous prayers and uh, I think it's helpful to see that that wasn't the way Jesus always prayed. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty good if we're looking to Jesus to help us understand what is actually spiritual and what's not. And uh, and so he prayed scripture. He prayed regularly and he was praying scripture at these set times. Is there a danger of that becoming rote or monotonous? Yes. Is that what evangelicalism is re- reacting to? Yes. Uh, that's a very real danger. But it's an equal danger to swing the pendulum too far the other direction and and expect just uh, constant spontane- uh, spontaneous prayers uh, and avoiding praying scripture, praying written prayers and having helps and patterns in that way. So uh, you'll see that I think that probably the, the emphasis of some of these practices I'm giving are going to lean more in the direction of some regular patterns because we're talking about practices and disciplines here. So it's not to say that we shouldn't be just praying spontaneously. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. And I also think that when you pray regularly, there's going to be times, like, like what you mentioned last week, where you don't want to pray, and it's going to teach you to pray even when you don't want to pray. Yeah. Like you were talking about how that's, it was it screw tape letters? Yes. What was the, I don't remember exactly the word. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the enemy, uh, what the enemy hates, or what, what, uh, what they hate most, what the devil hates most is when... Uh, when we pray in those moments of spiritual dryness, yes. even when we don't feel like it. Yeah, yeah excellent point. Excellent point. Brian, yes. Is Good. there a difference between prayer, the way we're talking about it, and you just speaking with God? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think I think. It's the same too. Yeah, yeah. Prayer. Yeah, broadly uh, speaking with God. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer and it's not at a, you know, 
you had to pick at five o'clock in the morning. Sure. Three o'clock. Yes. And we'll actually get to that because there, there's the with this com- specific pra- uh, command to pray without ceasing, and we can, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in just a moment. That's great. Praying scripture, a few reasons why this is important. Uh, when you pray the word of God, we are actually praying the very words of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we are being shaped and formed in our prayers as we pray scripture. Uh, along the lines of what Stephen had said too, this could uh, it gives words to our prayers. Maybe when our emotions, when we don't have a desire to pray, uh, when our emotions are all over the place, and we need something to give words to what we're experiencing. This is where we'll talk about the Psalms in a moment. Scripture does that for us. So pray Scripture in that way. It teaches us to pray. Teaches us to pray God's promises. Uh, and then prayer becomes no longer solely dependent on your emotions. You'll be praying more broadly. So uh, pray the Psalms. I'm going to move through these quickly. Um, it, the Psalms have been called, I think it's Tremper Longman who calls them a literary sanctuary, which is really beautiful. Uh, the full spectrum of emotions are, in, are present in the Psalms. So the, it, the Psalms can describe whatever it is you're feeling right now. And so uh, making a pattern of praying psalms uh, is, is hugely helpful. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I have a couple of different ways we could do this. One is uh, using the Lord's Prayer as a thought-by-thought model for prayer. And the, I think the way to do that would be to think of each of those petitions as hooks on which to hang your prayers. Um, hallowing God's name, praising him generally, praying for his kingdom to come, using that as sort of another a category under which you would then uh, make specific prayers. Forgiveness of sins and on and on. So thought by thought model. And actually in the recommended reading section, I have the this the Westminster Larger Catechism questions. You might think that's really devotional use for prayer in there. It's fantastic, actually. And it's a thought. I mean, it goes through each petition of the Lord's Prayer and says it kind of gives just these big paragraphs of these are the sorts of things for which you can pray based on these Uh, These petitions. So thought for thought. Then also use the Lord's Prayer as a word for word model. It was early on in the life of the church that praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim at regular intervals during the day became a pretty common practice. And if you go to uh, look at historic liturgies, it's it's present in in many of of those. And this can become a great starting point for a life of prayer. Uh, If you this is taking a small step to say, I don't really know even where to begin praying. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer every morning. Pray it at specific times during the day. And use it as a jumping off point. Um, So uh, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the promises of God. Uh, This is something that Darwin has talked about many times. It's so helpful. Uh, Turning the commands of Scripture into promises. Because Jesus says uh, through Paul that he's going to complete the work that he began in us. So you can read these commands that God gives to us, knowing that his spirit is going to bring these things about in our lives and pray, pray then to that end, praying the specific promises of God in scripture, uh, pray meditating on scripture. This is from Whitney meditation. This is, this is his big thing. And I think it's helpful. Meditation is a missing link between Bible intake and prayer uh, process should work like this in the second Uh, Second paragraph there. Uh, After the input of a passage of scripture, meditation allows us to take what God has said to us and think deeply on it, digest it, then speak speak to God about it in meaningful prayer. So again, uh, prayer, uh, praying scripture is tied up there. Um, Praying without ceasing. 
This is a command, I think, that's uh, rightly recognized to be given to the church to pray without ceasing. Um, But then Ephesians 6 seems to have a pretty individual emphasis to it as well. And this is the section of the armor of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Um, But I think this is something we can strive for. And uh, something like what Jerry mentioned is right on there. Short sentence prayers. Uh, Don't feel like, and Paul Miller's great on this too. Don't feel like you have to come up with these elaborate, like Valley of Vision Puritan prayers to come to God. Simple, short sentences to God throughout the day. Maintaining a sense of communion with him and all these things. Uh, This is called, what I have on your sheet there is often called the Jesus Prayer. This is something that uh, has been a part of church history for quite a while. Uh, An ongoing prayer that would say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which is a combination of a a number of passages. Uh, Pray out loud. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week. I think, Steve, you mentioned this. Uh, here's a quote from uh, from Paul Miller. Jesus follows the custom of praying out loud. Praying out loud can be helpful because it keeps you from getting lost in your head, makes your thoughts concrete, but it's more than technique. It's also a statement of faith. You are audibly de- declaring your belief in a God who is alive. Praying aloud is not a New Testament rule. It's just another way of being real in prayer. Everyone is different. He goes on to say he himself doesn't pray out loud. I do. I think it's uh, wonderful. It's been hugely helpful to me. Uh, Pray accounting for your body. I won't read all of these verses. Uh, This can be really helpful in your own private prayer time. Being conscious of what you're doing with your body during that time. Uh, And I put I kind of overloaded with verses here. These uh, in these sections just to say the, the scriptures speak often of what we would do with our bodies during prayer. And there are specific uh uh, ways and way, way, things we would do with our body that that's, that match sort of the content of what it is that we're doing in prayer. Standing, outstretched arms, lifted hands, uplifted eyes, uh, kneeling, and then even lying prostrate. Uh, various examples of that that uh, you can look at on your own. And then secondly, this is where it's a little arbitrary because it's still Jesus teaching us to pray, but I'll just say it's learning to pray from Jesus's people. A few uh, few things here. One is what is probably quite well known uh, is the ACTS method, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, a great basic form. Uh, And this is good, too. Darwin often mentions uh, adoration and thanksgiving being interspersed throughout all of it so that it's not an arbitrary like, okay, now I'm just confessing or now I'm just getting to the supplication portion and it's easy to fall into the rut of almost feeling as though you're reading prayer lists to God uh, and instead interspersing adoration and thanksgiving to God throughout even those times. Um, fixed hour prayer or what's called in the Book of Common Prayer and some more liturgical traditions, the daily office. Quick words on how this began. We can talk more about this. this we're running out of time here. This started with uh, uh, monasteries that would base their prayer life on, at at least part of this, on Psalm 119 that we mentioned there, where David says, seven times a day I will praise you. There are actually eight offices that are on here. I don't know where in history that changed. Um, And so in monasteries, they would pray this way. Then it was later reduced uh, in large part by uh, by Anglicans to four basic times with emphasis on morning and evening prayer. And so Thomas Cramner, when he wrote the uh, Book of Common Prayer, 
envisioned individuals and groups of people practicing uh, this sort of prayer on their own. And basically what it is, is it's a more substantial adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication with some more written forms within that. Uh, Calvin actually emphasized what he called the monkhood of all believers, as well as the priesthood. Um, And there's a great book called... um, what is it? The Life of God by Matthew Meyer Bolton, who uh, who makes a case that even Calvin's Institutes had in mind this suite of disciplines that that really that his his problem with the monastery is that they were taking these spiritual practices that should be for the whole church and confining them to this one group and this huge issue of seeing it as a way in which they would earn the favor of God. Uh, so fixed hour prayer, having some set time. Why this is helpful. Good quote from Piper and the importance of planning. And then a quote from Annie Dillard. Uh, what this could look like, uh, you could actually look at the Book of Common Prayer. There's ESV, Daily Office Readings there. Mission St. Clair does some of this. The Valley of Vision uh, is prayers of uh, the Puritans and has great, they have a week of morning and evening prayers in there and wonderful, rich, topical prayers as well. Note cards. You can find more about this in the book. Uh, this is Paul Miller's uh, suggestion. It's really, really helpful. Um, so he's got that in there. Let me close with this on uh, our conclusion. It's that Jesus himself is praying for us. And we need to be encouraged by that as well. That this is an ongoing practice of our Lord. That he, he continues to make intercession for us at all times. Uh, that he's our advocate before the Father. He's our mediator. Uh, he is constantly praying for us. And that is huge, huge, huge to remember as we think about our own prayer lives. Uh, let me pray for us and close. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus for us and that he is our mediator and the one who's praying for us now. Father, I pray that you would uh, that you would grow us, change us, and enable us more and more to uh, to know you in prayer. Bless us uh, in all the ways that we need it. Uh, uphold us and sustain us in our weakness as we come to you in prayer. And we pray this uh, for your glory and our good. Amen.